welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. This morning, we're going to continue in the book of Galatians uh, from Father Ben's sermon last week in Galatians 5. It's, it's page 975 in your pew Bible. We're going to follow along pretty closely there here in a little bit. So you can go ahead and turn to page 975, uh, Galatians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'll tell you a little bit of boring philosophy. All right. The 20th century French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. You might have thought it was John Paul Sartre, like I thought my whole life, but it's Sartre. It rhymes with Blart. Uh, John Paul Sartre is the father of what you and I watch and read and consume nearly every day in our culture, even though you didn't know it. Individual personality, or you might have heard from this pulpit many times before, autonomous individualism. I create for myself my identity. Sartre believed that humanity was not born with any value. We have no meaning in our existence. Because we exist, we don't have any meaning, but we must create our own essence or our own identity. So whether you're in the quiet of your own room, if you're, if you're an introvert who likes to get alone by yourself, or you're on the stage of public affirmation, If you're an annoying person like me, okay, on the stage of public affirmation, both Christians and non-Christians alike live in a world of privatized identity formation. We're We're trying to make a name for ourselves. But enough of that philosophy. Okay, let's get to the Bible. So apostle, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians has a pretty simple message that runs counter to this in a lot of ways justification or being declared righteous or or made just in Christ, justification must be a gift. If I were to summarize this whole letter, justification must be a gift. We cannot self-justify. We cannot self-justify. God's grace must break in through faith in the crucified and risen Jesus, and then we are saved. We are saved. That's it. That is, that is the entirety of the message. And if we want to go a little bit deeper in summary, the public religiousness alone cannot save you or make you right with God because none of us keeps the whole law. Our obedience to the law was never intended to save us in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament. Obedience to the law was never intended to save us. The grace of God came hundreds of years before the law through Abraham, and the grace of God in Christ came at the end to finish the story. And the law was only ever intended to be a guide during the awkward adolescent phase in the middle, okay? So the law, the grace came first, grace came last, and the law was only ever intended to be a phase. And the point from the beginning was to grow up into maturity into Christ. Okay, so that's a little bit longer of a summary of Galatians. This letter is pretty simple on the surface. It's pretty simple, but it's also, it's very serious. And what what do I mean by that? Paul 
he sets the usual pleasantries aside. At the beginning of a lot of his letters, he has a lot of warm things to say about the congregation. Not here. He, he wastes no time in rebuking these self-affirming Galatians, those in their midst who live all of their lives for the esteem of others. Self-justifiers in Galatians are accursed of God, or, or, or we might translate that more, more, more plainly, they're damned. They're, it's really strong language. In Galatians, even the apostle Peter stands condemned. By his actions, he stands condemned. Troublers of the church bear a penalty, and Paul tells them to emasculate themselves. And I'm not going to translate that anymore. It's, it's pretty graphic, and it's pretty strong language. This letter is packed with seriousness from start to finish, so the stakes are high. Paul presents one road of life. He presents one road of life that splits, that splits into two paths— the path of either the flesh, the works of the flesh, or the spirit, the fruits of the spirit. As we saw last week, we are either under the curse of God or we are marked by the grace of God. We're marked by the grace of Christ or the grace given at the proper time. Grace is all over this letter at the same time. So there's no middle way. Okay. I just want to see us. I just want us to see there's no middle way in Galatians. It's either flesh or spirit, flesh against spirit, spirit against flesh. There's a strong opposition. And Paul ends chapter five with more strong language. Look with me at the end of chapter five and verse 24. It might not seem strong to you, but it really, really is. He reminds the Galatians in verse 24 that our Lord Jesus was crucified. He was crucified to accomplish our redemption. Therefore, Paul says, those who are spiritual, so those who are walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, they are to crucify the flesh. They're called to crucify their weak and wimpy passions and desires. Do you hear the reversal there? Our Lord Jesus was crucified. Now we, Christian, you who are spiritual, are called to crucify your desires and your passions. This is the tone and these are the stakes. And this is the choice. This is the choice. Either the way of the flesh or the way of the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So I want to answer one question this morning. What does it mean? What does that mean? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit? Now, growing up as a generic Protestant kid in America, I have known my whole life, I know this, I was catechizing this, that to walk by the Spirit is clearly not public outward righteousness. I've heard this my whole life. Walking by the Spirit clearly isn't public outward righteousness. So by, by my, my wonderful logic, my wonderful reasoning skills, to walk by the Spirit for me my whole life must mean my private personal devotional life, my, my daily personal private devotions. Once a week, public worship alone is not enough. Jesus tells us to fast in secret, to pray in secret, to give to the poor in secret, to be circumcised, what? Not outwardly, 
but in our hearts to be circumcised inwardly, but against this this privatized, this, this Christian subculture sort of segregation impulse, a lot of the church today, a lot of Christians in America are reacting. They're, the pendulum swing has gone the other way. They say, we don't want a privatized faith. So it's, it swings to the other end. We don't want a Christian subculture. We want to be known. We want to redeem the culture you might hear. Christian, Christian charity is reduced to a tweetable publicity stunt for Jesus. Back and forth. To walk by the Spirit, we're told the choice is either between personal, private, devotional life, or it means outward public activism. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what does it mean? Here's the question again. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And here's the one-point sermon. Here's the one-point sermon from Galatians chapter 6. Here's the answer. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means private brokenness before God with with public reconciliation with one another. Private brokenness before God, necessarily with, coming with, public reconciliation with one another. So the test of true personal devotion to God, your true prayer closet piety, of keeping in step with the Spirit, the test is always public. It's always public. Personal devotion is never a private affair. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 6. Brothers or brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you, you, you all, y'all, okay? I want you to hear this. Y'all, plural, who are spiritual... So let me, let me, let me interpret this a little bit. Those who are spiritual, I think, I think it means those who are walking by the Spirit. That's the verse, the first two verses before that. Those who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now you, second part of verse one, you singular, keep watch on yourself, lest you, singular, too, be tempted. Verse two, y'all, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 3, singular again, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Verse 6, Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, hear that. Lest any one of you think that those who are spiritual always equals the person up here. Okay? Let Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share. That's you, okay? You, Christian. Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So the one who is spiritual is often called to, to come out and to, and, and to confront and to bear the burdens of those who are the teachers or preachers. Continuing in verse 6, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh 
will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In verses 9 through 10, he switches back to the plural again. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. We will reap if we do not give up. So then, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, sometimes preachers probably put a little bit too much emphasis on grammar, but I was, I was shocked by this interplay, this, this back and forth in Paul's language, this plural to singular, this, this private and this public back and forth. So here is the reality that Paul is pointing out to us in Galatians 6. Public and private devotion to God are inseparable. Public and private devotion are inseparable. Jesus says to pray in secret. And then what is the prayer he gives us to pray? How does it start? Our. It's a, it's a corporate prayer. Our prayer. Our prayer together. Back in, back in chapter five, the listings of the sins, the works of the flesh in verse 19, it's, it's a long list of destructive antisocial behavior because sin is never a private reality. The first three sins in that list, they're, they're sexual assaults. Sexual sin is always an assault on someone else, even if it's on a screen. Sexual assault, the, the next two sins, idolatry, idolatry, and what's the next one after that? Help me out. Sorcery, yeah, there we go. I didn't write it down. Idolatry and sorcery, this is an assault on the king. This is a break of relationship between us and God. And the rest of this list, including everything that Paul says at the end, he left out. All of these are a bunch of antisocial, destructive, relational behavior my personal life is always manifest outwardly. I, we all know this. We all know this. So consequently, the fruit of the Spirit, they are always public. Because Christ died and rose again to destroy the enmity between us and God and each other. He came to destroy the enmity. The first of the spiritual gifts, the fruit of the Spirit here. What is the first one? It's it's love. It, summar- it summarizes all of them. And love doesn't make any sense if you're by yourself. Okay? It, it just doesn't make any sense by yourself. It's not a private, it's not a private gift. If you've read the Bible, you know, and again, you know that the public and the outward devotion to God is a super dangerous thing. It's a super dangerous place to be. Over and over again in this letter, Paul describes the slavery of those who rely on the works of the law, on outward circumcision, outward obedience to law, those who seek the approval of man, who set all their hope on certain people and their opinions, including Peter. Including Peter. Turn on the news or go to church. People are masters at deception. We pretend to be influential. We are always drifting to self-justification by public esteem. But there are many dangers in our quiet time, too. How are we to know whether that still, small voice in us is the voice of the Spirit guiding us? The internal voice we listen to is all too often evil, 
Hebrews chapter 10. Our inner monologue, our conscience is seared, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or weak, 1 Corinthians 8, or it's completely and totally defiled, Paul says in Titus. So to go it alone, to privatize your faith is dangerous because our hearts are soaked in sin. We have deeply ingrained habits, like a bike wheel going through the mud, and then that mud dries and you get in that rut again. Try to get your bike out of that groove. It won't happen. This is what our neural pathways in our brain are doing. They're going straight to sin because we have deeply ingrained habits. Private and public private and public self-actualization. I define myself. I'm a self-made man. I pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Girl, wash your face. Privatized and publicized self-actualization always leads to self-justification. It leads to conceit and provoking one another and envying one another or devouring and consuming one another. So the clear choice between the flesh and the spirit is not a choice. It is not, hear me, a choice between public and private devotion. Private devotion and public devotion, they always go together. They always go together. What what does our morning prayer say at the very end? The prayer of John Chrysostom. What does he quote Jesus as saying? Wherever two or three are gathered in my name. These are corporate disciplines. These are things we do together. So how do you know if you're walking in step with the Spirit? We have to test ourselves in our relationships, outside of ourselves, in public. It's not good. We were not created to be alone. When someone close to you sins, when they sin against you, do you, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, do you acknowledge your temptations and your sins privately to God and then... And then go with all gentleness and humility and call them to repentance. See, it, it's not enough to just go into my, my personal prayer private time and be humble by myself and not address the sin of those who are, who are not spiritual. Our, we're, we're called. We're called with humility and gentleness to come out of this time with brokenness and humility to come and reconcile, to reconcile with one another. So then, as we have opportunity Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here's here's the hard part about all this. The closer relational brokenness is to home, the more frequent, the more difficult, and the more necessary it becomes. The gospel frees us, as Paul says in verse 10, to pursue reconciliation even with our enemies. Let us humble ourselves before everyone, but especially, he says, but especially the gospel frees us to pursue reconciliation with those we come into contact with all the time. Those people. 
Because these are the people that are the hardest to humble ourselves with because these are the people right next to us who consistently give us the most opportunity to crucify our own wimpy desires and passions and to bear one another's burdens. Quiet devotion to God is tested in the house, in the household. What does he say? The household of faith, of faith in these pews, in one another's homes, at potlucks and ministry meetings, in small groups and in bedtime routines. Do you want to know if you are keeping in step with the spirit? Test yourself in your prayer closet before God. Test yourself when someone sins against you. When they sin against you, when your heart is broken. When your friend has betrayed you, even your spouse has betrayed your trust. Do you pursue reconciliation with all gentleness and humility? Or... Do you immediately put up all your walls and your barriers like I do? Do you immediately bite and devour when someone sins against you? You see, neither untested aloneness nor once a week corporate display will work. None of those will work. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? To live daily to live daily in private brokenness before God, which is necessarily evidenced by going out to seek reconciliation in the world with one another, in our homes, in the church, and then do it again. Get up the next day and do it again and again and again. You will have plenty of opportunity to put this sermon into action. Trust me. Look with me at verse 12. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. They, they, they want a trophy. They want outward signs of, of spiritual health. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. This is what we all do. We want to guard ourselves. I don't want to get hurt. Do you want to get hurt? Do you like getting sinned against? Nobody likes that. They don't, they don't want to be person, they don't want to bear one another's burdens. Verse 14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And skipping down to verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. It is a dangerous business walking out your front door. To open yourself up in relationship is dangerous because every person you know is really good at self-preservation and really bad at dying for others. Now, I'm going to say a little statement here, and it's going to be provocative, and it's on purpose, okay? So bear with me for just a few minutes. Jesus didn't die to give you life. Jesus didn't die to give 
you life. Jesus died so that you might die in him. Jesus died so that you might die in him. And Jesus rose from the grave so that you might be raised with him. You can't go from this to this that quickly. It's not death to life. It's death buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. This is, this is our story from death to death, his death for my death, his life for my life. This is the gospel we have to reenact every day in our lives, his death, then your death every day in every moment for others. And then, and then on the other side of that, his life, then your life every day for all eternity in restored relationship with each other and with God. This, this is the gospel. There are only two options, flesh or spirit. You either survive and die or you die and you live. You either privately avoid pain. You, you, you harden yourself. You put up walls. And you, and you abandon relationships and you run away from difficulty. Whether you're the sinning agent primarily or the other person is the sinning agent, you either privately avoid pain or you publicly harden yourself or steal yourself or put on a good face. You avoid pain. You avoid the persecution of the cross of Christ. You don't want to follow him. This is one way. You make a good showing in the flesh, you aim to survive, and the only thing that that leads to ever, always, is death and broken relationships. Or, hear the good news, you boast in the cross of Christ. You boast in the cross of Christ alone and his boundless grace, and you bear in your body the marks of Jesus. You follow him. You bear one another's burdens. You take upon the sin of your neighbor and you reconcile with them over and over and over again. You aim to die and you will live. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Private brokenness before God, which necessarily and always leads to public reconciliation with others. If we live by the Spirit let us also walk by the Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christ Church, visit us at ChristChurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 